imagine building a career doing something you absolutely love, no matter how hard it is to make it supposedly in that career. This is what our guest has done. So stay tuned and you'll get to hear all of her story. You did it. You have found your judgment-free zone, the Her Dinero Matters podcast, a bilingual podcast for women who want to become reinas of their money and love their dinero more. I am your host, Jen Hemphill, a former extreme frugalist turned reina of your money advocate. Each week, I'm going to help you reign your money like that queen that you are with inspiring interviews and panel discussions from La Comunidad Latina and with solo episodes sharing simple, actionable tips and strategies. Thanks for spending some time with me today. And now let's jump into today's Dose of Money Confidence. ¿Qué tal? How is it going? This is none other than your host, Jen Hemphill. I am so thrilled to have you here. Today we have another fantastic guest. I know I say that every time, but I'm just so blessed and grateful to get fantastic guests time and time again. Today we have Cami Strashnoy, who is a trend researcher obsessed with consumer trends and as a strategist and storyteller. For the past nine years, she has worked as a fashion editor, consultant, marketing, and branding strategist, and consumer trends researcher around the world. Her obsession with fashion, passion for art, and innovative approach to storytelling has helped her rethink the fashion industry and find new ways to research trends, support burgeoning brands, and produce content. In today's episode, you're going to hear the financial lessons she learned from her father, who built his career starting from nothing, as well as how her career in fashion came to fruition and her interest in sustainable fashion and what it has to do with money. Lista? You ready? Vamos a conocer this reina of her money. Bienvenida, Cami, to the Her Dinero Matters podcast. I am so thrilled to have you here with me today. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Not a problem. Now, tell us a little bit about you in terms of your money story. So we'll, we always start there. So let's go back in time to childhood or maybe teenage years. And what did you see here experience that had to do with finances? So I grew up in Buenos Aires, Argentina. That's where I'm from. And I grew up in a family where I had both my parents working, but it was particularly my dad. He came from nothing and built his career. I saw him working really hard as I grew older and I witnessed his hard work, but also he was very resilient because when I grew, he was already at a more comfortable position. But I know the story where he's, he lost his dad when he was 17 and he had to work very hard. And then he created one company where he was producing toys and he was bankrupt by the age of like 30 again and had to start from nothing again and then created a business around communication and advertising. And that story, and not only that, but seeing his work ethic, his effort so he could provide for his family and that resilience, that taught me a lot of who I wanted to be as well in my career. He was a, a great mentor in that sense. So you're, from your dad, you didn't necessarily witness him, but you knew that he was an entrepreneur, right? So he started a business, he lost it, he went bankrupt and then started another business and was successful with that. And you observed how resilient he was. 
Was it just mainly observation or did he have any conversations with you around money? Uh, my dad is a person that he keeps himself to himself a lot. And he shows more by acts than by words. So I remember growing up and seeing him go to the office on a Saturday, on a Sunday, coming home late for just for dinner. And it was just for me observing and growing up around that sense of, discipline and work ethic. And I feel those were a lot of the pillars I grounded my own career on, just of that appreciation. And, and my parents divorced when I was 11. My dad remarried and his wife, my stepmom, was also a great mentor for me. She taught me a lot about money, but she was more the passion side of the family. So she was more about what you love and money will follow and all those conversations where my dad was more the rational work hard work hard conversation so i had a, a nice mix of both like the inspiration and the passion and then the work ethic i love that so definitely it sounds like it was a very well balanced couple really like level-headed and this is how we're going to do it because it makes sense and has been proven and then the other side was like do what you love it will work out i love it i love it so you took us back in time about what you observed around money and what led you, because you're a consultant in the fashion industry. So what led you there? When was your first interest in, in fashion? How did that come to be? So I was creating dresses for my barbers since I have memories. So I was always into fashion, always loved fashion, I was very opinionated from a very young age to what I wanted to wear. And I always thought I wanted to be a fashion designer. So I went and pursued a bachelor's. My BA is in fashion and textile design. I moved to London. I was working there and studying, uh, working as a fashion designer. And when I come to my graduation, we had to write a, a short thesis, a research paper, I would say like 60 pages long. And I had to research a lot and write a lot. And I started to understand this is my passion. I love fashion, but maybe I don't necessarily want to be a designer. And I had to dismantle all that belief system that I was going to study fashion design and become a fashion designer and understand that maybe that was not exactly what I wanted. And I started pursuing, and it was a longer process. Here is a very simplistic way of summarizing the internal process because I want to also share this story because I thought it was important that we are all aware that life is not always what we want it to be, but sometimes we have to accept that things might change or our interests might change. And I had to explore and go through jobs I hated and did internships I hated just to find myself. And then it's when I started to realize I love writing and researching. And I started pursuing an editorial career. I started writing for magazines like Elle, InStyle, Vogue, Harper's Bazaar, Le Officiel, all the glossy ones. And I write it a lot. Um, now I'm based in Miami. So that, that made me move to Miami, Florida. And I was working a lot with the Latin American versions or issues of the magazines, right? So for that reason, I started traveling Latin America uh, for fashion weeks that were not the usual ones. I was already going to Paris, New York, Milan, you know, all the glamorous fashion weeks, but I was not that exposed to the Latin American fashion, which is crazy because that's where I came from. Right. And then when I was traveling around there, I had a lot of designers coming to me and starting to ask for my advice because I had the fashion training and I had kind of those sides while I was working in editorial. I did a master's certification in consumer trend forecasting and I also got my MFA in visual arts. I was studying at night. So I was always a big nerd <laughs> and, and, I, and I had that mix between the geek side of me and the very informed and 
trained side of me in design. And I started realizing there was an appetite. So, you know, Jen, it was not that one day I woke up and I'm like, I want to be a fashion consultant. I want to start the business. It was the other way around. People started coming to me and I decided to listen to the universe. I'm like, okay, if people want that, this might be also a job opportunity. This might become my career. So it was very interesting how I got to that point. That is interesting. So as a consultant, you're basically your own boss. Because I can only imagine that in any business, whether you're an entrepreneur, self-employed, however you call yourself, it's not an easy journey, right? So I can only imagine how it is in the fashion industry. So tell us how your journey has been. Uh, because you mentioned people came to you or asking you for advice. So but lead us a little bit on that journey, because I'm sure there were some challenges along the way. Yeah, like every career is very challenging. I feel coming to a different country by yourself. I was very young. I was 23 when I moved to Miami by myself. I had no one here. So it was very challenging to start building my name in the city. So people could know who I am and that I was good at it. And kind of, we say in Spanish, pagar derecho de piso. So it was kind of that whole process I had to go through. There's also something that when it comes to money, for me, it was very challenging to know my worth and ask for the money I thought I deserved because I come from a creative industry and people that are in other industries might not be familiar with a concept as when you go to a doctor, you don't ask that doctor, oh, I need a surgery for free. When you're in a creative industry, people are asking for free work all the time. And I did a certain amount of it to start building my name because I thought it's not for free. It's self-promotion. It's not for free. It's to build my name. But it gets to a point you have to learn to have a healthy relationship with money to build those boundaries and understand your value and what you're worth and be like, yeah, I'm happy to help you. This is my job. So this is my retainer. This is my hourly rate. And I'm happy to work with you. And it was always about focusing for me. I'm a person that's always saying, focus on what you can give, not on what you can get. And that's that side of my stepmom, like do what you love and money will follow. And I always had that approach and trying to have stay in that kind of alignment of abundance and be able to understand, okay, you know, abundance will come, but also set those boundaries for self-respect so people could respect me, you know. So when you were realizing, okay, I'm done with free work, I need to be getting paid. And you decided this is my job. You know, you're basically your response is this was this is my job. These are my rates. What was the response? Like, what did you was this to people that you had already worked with and had done free work, or was this to essentially new people that hadn't worked with you? There's a very important concept: is when you start understanding your own value, is when people start to value, and when you start understanding what you charge and the worth behind that work, because it was many years at school, many years working. When people start understanding all that experience is when they are able to pay you and accept that. And I had a lot of acceptance once I understood my own value and once I was able to explain and articulate that. And I feel it's all about being very resilient and keep going and all those lessons I have from my past as, you know, if you don't want to work with me, it's fine. And I'm very blessed because all my clients keep coming back or they're on retainer for years and I, they see the value in what I do. It's been a really interesting journey of not just building my career, but building myself as a human and understanding what's my worth and what I bring to the table. I wanted to take a moment to interrupt this episode 
to share a special message. If there are dreams that you are still afraid to chase, or maybe you have a small business that has you feeling stuck, Transformation coaches Harry Lopez and Anna Sheila Victorino are kicking off the Launch Latinx Accelerator on October 8th. It's a 90-day transformational coaching program for aspiring entrepreneurs, coaches, creators, and side hustlers who want to grow their businesses and amplify their impact. It's a mixture of one-on-one and group-style coaching, workshops, and inspiring speakers. And I've been through this program, so I can't say enough. So learn more about the program and apply by Sunday, September 27th over at harryluislopez.com forward slash launch Latinx. That's harryluislopez.com forward slash launch Latinx. I'll include the link in the show notes. And also make sure you mention that you heard about Launch Latinx on this podcast, Her Dinero Matters, in your application. And so what does the life of a fashion consultant look like? Do you consult and you're talking to someone that knows nothing about the fashion industry, but just for someone that maybe is interested or loves fashion and maybe is in a spot where she's trying to figure out what direction to go. So what does that look like when you're consulting? Are you consulting in business? Are you consulting on the design of a dress or a piece itself or what, what does that, or are trends or, or maybe all of the above? It's kind of all of the above. I'm lucky enough right now that I built a small team of five that we're working in this consulting firm under my name. And what we do is everything from A to Z. So let's say you're a small brand from somewhere in Latin America or Europe, and you want to break into the U.S. market or you want to break into the Asian market. So what we do is we go, we assess your product, your product merchandising, your pricing strategy, your communication strategy, your brand DNA, storytelling, all these things that brands need to have very strong. And we help you pivot them so they're, they work for the industry you're trying to target, if that makes sense. So it goes from product design to creating a photo shoot and a catalog for that brand, a line sheet, pricing strategy, and, and all of the above. So it's a very interesting mix between business and creative And what I give is my vision. And I work mostly when it comes to brand DNA, storytelling, trends, because that's kind of my area of expertise. And of course, I have a vision and I want my team to help me align. But I have really smart people that work with me and they're amazing at what they do. So it's also about everyone bringing their part to the table and making those brands grow from where they started to where they dreamed to be. I love that. And so how long has it taken you personally because you basically, you said you've done a little bit of everything, right? So you started thinking you're going to be designing. So how long has it taken you to really establish yourself as, you know, with the business that you have? The business I have in consulting is very new. I've been for two years and a half, I want to say. I've been doing consulting particularly. Before it was not as formalized. I was already doing it, but it was not, okay, I'm a fashion consultant and I will not introduce myself as one. I was a fashion editor. I was a trend researcher. And I started wearing that tag maybe two and a half years ago when I got my first like client on retainer. And it was not just a one-off project. So yeah, it was around that time that it all started. I love it. Now you mentioned trends, and this is just something that I'm personally curious about. How do fashion trends like come about? Because when I think of trends, I think, well, consumers will create these trends. But then I see, like, for example, I went to the store because I wanted some new jeans. And I'm the type of person I dress for my body, I've got curves. So 
jeans for me are not the ones with a very narrow bottom because then it accentuates my hips and my backside. And (laughs) to say the least. So all they were selling, they said, well, that's not the trend anymore. It's all these jeans with the very skinny bottom and not the boot cut bottom, but just the very skinny bottom. And I'm like, who decided that? Like the trend, I'm like, not my trend. So I'm curious, like, how are these trends created? I, where do they, is it one person that decides it? I mean, it just, it makes no sense to me. So I'm curious. I love these questions. So there was a time when there was one person deciding it. Uh, and it's all about the trickle-down theories that the royalty and the glossy magazines and the runways would dictate fashion. And I love fashion fast forward 2020 when it's very democratic and Instagram and social media build that conversation where people don't want to be told what to wear anymore, but it's a conversation that's bottoms up and from the top to the bottom, you know, it- Before we jump into today's content, keep your ears peeled for a unique reveal I'll be sharing midway through the show. It's something special just for you. It's both ways. So now the fashion industry is informing a lot of their trends from like the street culture, the hip hop, the streetwear, and we see all that conversation. So fashion is a reflection of society. Fashion reflects its part of culture. So fashion trends usually reflect a lot of what's going on. Maybe after a crisis like a, a recession, we see fashion going more minimalistic, or there's if there's certain politicians uh, in charge, you see certain messaging on the runways, or if there's something going around climate, you see fashion reacting to that. So you'd see fibers that are more organic, or and not saying that organic fibers are sustainable, but there's a whole conversation that's open towards those fibers and those colors that are more natural. So fashion aesthetics is a conversation that goes now both sides, and it's what people react to, and the market has to adapt really quick because it's been more in fashion of uh, the conversation around fats, those very short-lived three to six months ephemeral trends. And then when we talk about mega trends, macro trends, micro trends that go from a decade to two, three years, those trends are constructed with a lot of what you said is consumer trends is what they want, what they feel, what they expect from their brands. And it comes also when it comes to color, to design is a direct reaction of how society is feeling and how society, what's important to them. So right now uh, we are all locked at home and A lot of people are showing off their sweatpants and showing off their hoodies. And and there's a whole trend around that. But after the COVID-19 relaxes these stay-at-home measures, people ask me, okay, what will the trends be? And and if we think about how we're dressing right now, for every trend, there is a counter trend. So I feel there is going to be a lot of people just dressing over the top to get their groceries because they miss dressing up. There's going to be a lot of other people that love the stay-at-home at leisure outfits, and they're going to be wearing all that. There's a lot of, of brands that are now are focusing on from the hips up because we're all dressing for Zoom conversations, so colors that will pop out of your screen and, and all these. But also, if you think from a design perspective, there's a lot of brands developing technological textiles towards protection from germs and bacteria and, and all that. So fashion is always a reflection of what's going on. If you are savvy enough to read society, you will immediately know what fashions are. As I always say, the future is already here. It's just not evenly distributed. If you're trained to see those patterns, they're easy to read. It's not that trend forecasters 
are a witch or anything like that. Unfortunately, we cannot actually predict the future, but we can make a sense of what the future might bring. Right. And that's interesting how much what's going on. I, I never would have, I mean, it makes sense when you're saying it, but it's interesting how much of an impact what's going on has on fashion. For example, what you said about the germs and creating clothes that maybe will not allow the germs to stick or I don't know how to say that. And I'm already seeing on online retailers that they're all selling face masks and they're all doing their own take with their own fabrics and their own style. So every brand is putting kind of their DNA towards these face masks. So it's also like for product development. Right. Very, very interesting. Thanks for sharing that. And then talk to me a little bit, because I'm always curious about this, about sustainable fashion. So tell us what it is and why is it important to know about? So fashion is one of the most polluting industries in the world right now. It pollutes the water with chemicals. It burns a lot of dead stock. It overproduces. And don't forget, it's not just environmental, but when we talk about sustainability, so we are talking about the human factor, about people working in factories, people being underpaid in very poor conditions. So fashion is a trillion dollar industry that employs one every six people in the world when we think about factories and the people working and the garment workers and all that. So fashion sustainability means that the way in which we produce is not harming the environment or is allowing the environment to reproduce all the resources we are using faster than the rate we're using them. So that's sustainability, like basics, right? So it's about the way we produce, but also who is making our clothes, who's producing this, how are we treating these workers, how much are we paying them? So now with all that's going on with the COVID-19, so many brands are stopped because their retail spaces are closed and they are not selling online and their warehouses are closed. So now in the fashion industry right now, as of this week, we have three times more overstock than we ever had. So what's going to happen to all that dead stock? What will happen to all the workers that won't get paid because the orders to those factories they work at were canceled? And what will happen to all of this? So the fashion industry is at a really interesting moment because there's a lot of conversations going on from the top people in our industry that are accessible for anyone in the world for free. A lot of platforms are offering all this. And the conversation around sustainability is gaining more and more momentum. So even right now, when sustainability, speaking of trends, is not a priority for the consumer because their health is their main priority. This conversation will come back once the COVID-19 has quelled. When this conversation comes back, the fashion industry has been rethinking about their practices. There was a time in fashion when we presented two collections a year. Now between resort, pre-collections, couture, there's a tremendous amount of collections being presented yearly. Consumers are buying at an accelerated, or where before COVID-19, were buying at an accelerated rate. Brands were burning their dead stock and creating all that CO2. Editors were flying to one city, to the other, to the other, and having all that CO2 produced to the environment because of the, all the airplanes they were taking. So if, if we think about fashion sustainability, it's about nature, it's about being you know, mindful with the environment, it's about respecting our workers, and it's about rethinking a whole value system and a whole chain of supply that it's not working. And we have evidence. We have numbers showing that the amount of waste, the amount of carbon emissions, the amount of people dying in countries like Bangladesh. It's heartbreaking. 
And the whole world is starting to look over and see that. And we're all home kind of understanding what we value right now. Do we need so much stuff? I feel that's a conversation everyone, not just the fashion industry, just in every industry. We have at home all this stuff. Do we need all this? Right. And when we talk about sustainable fashion, how does that impact us buying the piece of clothing? How does that impact our dollars? Is that sustainable fashion, is it typically more expensive because you are taking more precautionary measures to take care of the environment, workers and all that? Or how does that work typically? Sustainable fashion is more expensive, but we as an industry have trained our consumers that we can charge a garment that had to be, you know, you had to do the crop and then you have to saw that and you have to transport that and you have to pay salaries, communication, transportation, all that. And then that garment at the end of the chain was costing less than a sandwich. So we, we train consumers that way. On the other side, there's a very valid conversation. The two main problems when it comes to fashion sustainability are communication. So nobody really understands what sustainable fashion is. And they think that by buying an organic cotton t-shirt, they're being sustainable when cotton is one of the most polluting fibers in the world just because of the amount of water it uses. So one of the biggest problems is communication. But the second biggest problem and most important is access. Sustainable fashion is not accessible for everyone. And that's a reality. And we cannot ask people to spend all that money in sustainable fashion when they need to dress their entire family. So it's very, it's for the elite right now. And that's the hard question to answer. I don't know that anyone has the answer. I think like, should government subsidize that because it's the right way of doing things? So there's not a clear solution at the moment that I could say, okay, we should be going this way or the other. But it's a conversation that needs to happen. So we are all thinking, okay, how could we do better? Right. I love that. So I, I presume just based on what you're saying, you're very pro-sustainable fashion, like I, I would think. <laughs> yes, I am. And it's just because I had access. I was not. And then when I started having access to this information, before as a journalist, it was not even when I started consulting, but when I started doing journalism and the conversation started gaining traction, and I started uncovering all these issues that were in an industry I worked at and I thought I knew so well. And there were so many hidden things under the carpet that I had no idea that it started breaking my heart. But even as a consumer, as a person that loves fashion and celebrates fashion, as a consumer, I was doing these practices. I remember living in London when I was in university after school. We would, I would go with my classmates on Fridays to Oxford Station and there was a top shop there. And we would try to find something for like five pounds we could wear to the pub that night. And now I think back to those times where we were consuming so much. And it's not even about buying sustainable fashion. If we as consumers could be more mindful about what we buy, buy less. Because buying less and being more mindful about what you wear, giving more mileage to every garment you wear before you throw it away. Buying something and think, would I wear these 30 times? giving more mileage to the clothes you're buying instead of all the time needing new stuff. Why do we need so much? Right. Because I think too, also the services that you, uh, what is it? Stitch fix something? Like, yeah, I think it's called stitch fix. And I'm like, I understand what they're doing, but I'm like, at the same time, like the money side of me, I'm like, I'm not going to spend this amount of money every single month. And do I really need an outfit or two or however many send, they send every single month. So I try to buy classy pieces, 
that I can wear over and over again. I try to be mindful and not because of sustainable fashion, because honestly, I didn't know about this till probably maybe a year or two ago when I was in this uh, workshop, this lady was talking about fashion and just dressing for you basically for your body, which but was just like golden to me because then I'm like, no wonder some of these pieces I never like because actually they weren't made for me. It's not my fault. <laughs> and so it was it was really fascinating. That was when the sustainable fashion that term was introduced to me. And I was just fascinated. I never and never thought about fashion just being or buying clothing and just how bad it could be for the environment and so forth. So uh, I find it fascinating. So I appreciate you sharing all of that with us. No, and it's very reasonable that sometimes we go and buy something. And if you're not working in that industry, uh, you're not asking who made that. Like I, when I go grocery shopping, well, I'm a very curious person by nature, but I don't necessarily ask like, oh, who made this yogurt? You know, and in which conditions are they working? It's only reasonable. And I feel it's the responsibility of the industry and people in the industry like me to share that message and, and try to make people understand that there's a whole now other category growing about resale and secondhand items, which I think it's very good towards sustainability and also making sustainability more accessible because then you're, you're accessing to cheaper garments that are in perfect conditions and you can give them a second life for someone that might have a baby and then lost the weight or gain weight or doesn't want to wear that style anymore or change careers and those clothes don't suit their new lifestyle anymore. You know, any reasons and they need to kind of get rid of that and you could repurpose those clothes and, and still be mindful about your own, like your pocket and, and save money by buying second lab clothes and still being sustainable. So when there's a will, there's a way. Oh, absolutely. Well, this has been absolutely fascinating. One, just getting to know you and congratulations on all your achievements because it's because basically you moved here and I didn't ask you moved here on your own with yes. no family. No family. Oh my goodness. So basically you have paved your way on your own, no family around. I really congratulate you even more so. And and as a Latina and doing all the things that you're doing, I, I appreciate you. I appreciate the what the example that you're setting for us. And especially in a, in an industry that can be tough to navigate. So I applaud you and thank you so much for sharing everything that you did and enlightening us on fashion as well. <laughs> no, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for creating this space to talk about money. That's not always the, the easiest topic for all of us to talk about, <laughs> uh, even myself. And I, I love to have the space to give the message to people in the creative industry, to Latinas, that you need to know your own worth so people can actually pay you that and and you can get that money that you deserve. Absolutely. So ask for what you deserve. Absolutely. Thank you so much. What did you think? I found her story so interesting, and I really have a lot of respect and admiration for what she's done. And when I see, I believe she's a millennial, as you know, I am not. But when I see millennials or younger people than me, just really being such go-getters, that just makes me so happy. So I hope that you enjoyed that conversation. You can connect with Cami over on Instagram. You look up Cami Strashnoy. But again, I will have the link in today's show notes. So I encourage you to go ahead and connect and follow her on Instagram. As you recall, there was one point in our conversation when she talked about understanding 
our value and really how that translates to dollars and really being able to communicate and being able to charge what your value is, right? So if you, after listening to that, if you're just like, yeah, that makes sense, but you're just kind of still cringing and you're not feeling confident in this area, make sure you grab your free copy of the daily Dinero Ritual over at jenhemphill.com forward slash Dinero. That free resource, if you haven't grabbed it already, on a daily basis, it'll help you just frame your mind for that day, frame your mind for that week as to how you want to be thinking about money, what you want to be focusing on, and really catching those things that will stop you. So what kind of thoughts have been in your mind that are not productive? What thoughts in your mind are limiting? What are those spots of scarcity that are really keeping you stuck and being able to shift those? So make sure you grab it. It's a great resource and it's free. Again, jenhemphill.com forward slash dinero. Now next week, we will be talking again to our friends at AARP with one of their fraud experts. I did skim the surface in episode 229, so a few episodes back, but we will be digging deep next week. So don't miss it. This and next week's episode is going to be in English. And then we're also doing one, releasing one in Espanol. Mark those calendars, grab your phone, look at your podcast app. And since you're listening to this right now, see if you are already subscribing. It may say subscribe or follow on your podcast app. If you don't see that you're subscribing or following, then go ahead and hit that button because that way you will have next week's episode already ready for you. So make sure you do that. Again, next week's episode is super special because it is in, in Espanol and English. So that is it. Eso es todo. Thank you so much for just choosing this podcast. It means the absolute world to me. You can check out the brief show notes over at jenhempel.com forward slash 231. And a quick reminder that you can be the reina of your money starting today. All it takes is making that choice that you are the reina already. So you've got this. Tú puedes. I absolutely believe in you. I am here for you. You have this podcast to uplift you and motivate you. Also, when you are listening to this episode, please, please, if you absolutely love this episode with Cami, please take a screenshot, take a selfie, tag us in your Instagram stories, tag her Dinero Matters and tag Cami, which you'll, you have the link in today's show notes and use the hashtag her Dinero Matters. Thanks again for listening and nos hablaremos el próximo jueves. Chao.